How many of you are ready to go through the book of Genesis a little bit tonight? Amen. Let's stand up and we're just going to pray one quick prayer. And then I'm going to deal with the great flood. The great flood. Not a myth, not a fairy tale. Jesus mentioned it and affirmed it. So we're going to see what uh, the book of Genesis has to say about it. It's very, very strong stuff. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you tonight for being with us, being present with us, and Lord, helping us to understand your word. We pray you open our ears and our eyes and our understanding that we may comprehend what you've given to us regarding this incredible ep- epical event in the history of the world. We thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes and ears in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say the flood really did happen. I really shouldn't have to say that, but there's some churches nowadays that they're kind of ditching everything. So I want you to know that we believe it really happened. Now, it's um, good to see all of you here on a Wednesday night. And man, the, the men and women on Monday night, the women went from 63 two weeks ago to 76 Monday night. Yeah. And the guys, uh, 56-ish, it was somewhere in there. So that means 132 people were up here in this building to get discipled. 132 people. That's excellent. And it's, it's going to keep on growing. Both of them. Amen. Now, last time, we witnessed the steady spiral down into great evil in the days leading up to the flood. Now, reminder, in this series, I'm not going through the whole book of Genesis. I'm going through the first 11 chapters. Because the first 11 chapters deal with four epical events, defining moment events, world-changing, history-changing events um, that took place. The creation, the fall, the flood, and the tower. We're going to talk about the tower next week. Tower of Babel, 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 right? So, so there we go. Now, we did witness last time that after the fall of man, his decline regarding sin and really just spiraling down in his character uh, happened uh, just steadily and, and almost frighteningly. Mankind had become increasingly and exceedingly sinful. Scripture sums it up with three things that God observed. I want you to notice, God observed these things. This is not just Moses who wrote Genesis, but God saw these things. And as God observed mankind back then, do you think he's observing us now? Yeah. Look what it says. Uh, Chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Man had reached the place where there wasn't one righteous thought in his mind ever. He was bereft of righteousness. All right? It was gone. Then verses 11 and 12. Again, we see that God saw something. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. So violence was one of the hallmark signs of the generation that saw the great flood and the judgment of God. 
God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone. Everybody say everyone. Everybody on earth was corrupt. Now, we also noted last time that one of the breaking points for the Lord was when the righteous lineage of Seth, also known as, a.k.a., the sons of God, in the Genesis chapter 6, the lineage of Seth were called the sons of God, and they were known for calling out on the name of the Lord. The righteous lineage of Seth was known for prayer and praise and worship and calling out on God and recognizing God and 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 uh, seeking God. But they became corrupted. And as they became corrupted and began to backslide, they began to marry pagan godless women, a.k.a. the daughters of men. That's what they're called in Genesis 6. So you have the sons of God, the lineage of Seth, daughters of men who were godless women in pagan tribes and whatnot. And they married them, we saw, based on their outer looks and not their inner godly character. That's something. The Bible is so clear and amazingly specific. Now, so God saw this and he sees, man, even, even the righteous lineage of Seth has gone south. And so it says God pronounced a coming judgment. Chapter 6, verse 13. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Notice God has an issue with violence. That's the second time it's been named in just a few verses. God has an issue with violence. God doesn't like violence, bloodshed. He doesn't like it. He notices it. And it played a part in why he judged the world. And then he says, yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Now that's a heavy word. I've decided to wipe everything out. Every oxygen-breathing creature that is on the land. Because marine life survived. But every oxygen-breathing creature God made that was a land dweller died. But there's one bright light in the darkness of this pronouncement from God. And that is found in verse 8 of chapter 6. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. With approaching judgment, God now provides a way out. An escape from his wrath. As I go through this, please remember... Jesus said in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13, he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. As it was, so shall it be. So as we go through these things, we need to take note of this and go, wow, all right. This is what it was like in the days of Noah. What was it like? Well, God hated violence. The earth was filled with violence. Uh, everybody on the earth had become corrupt. Nobody was thinking even a righteous thought. Is that the way it'll be when Jesus comes? Except for the church? Now, God's way out was going to be a one way out. The ark. Notice there weren't ten ways out. God called Noah. And he said, Noah, I want you to build a boat. I want you to build an ark. And when you build this ark, it's going to be my exit plan for anybody 
Who wants to escape my coming judgment? And there wasn't, again, 10 options. Wasn't your best idea? Well, I like the ark. That's cool, but I'm going to use another route. No, there was one. You got into the ark or you didn't. And if you didn't get into the ark, you perish. If you did get into the ark, you were saved. All right? So there's parallels here. Now, we're told in verse 9, Noah was a just man. He was perfect. That means he had integrity, not perfecto, like he never made a mistake, but it means integrity. He had integrity in his generations. And then it tells us Noah walked with God. He walked with God. How many of y'all want to walk with God on this planet, right? Before going to heaven, before our life is up, don't you want it to be said of, of, of you and, and me? You know what? They weren't perfect. They, you know, they had their flaws and mistakes, but man, they walked with God. They, they were, he was a man of God. She was a woman of God. They walked with God because God noted that too. God saw that. And God speaks to him, and we don't know how he spoke to him, audible voice in his heart. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But he commands him to start building a boat when there was no water around. Right? Start building an ark. And he says, I want you to make it a gopher wood, and I want you to to seal the wood with pitch. We know that pitch was a soundproofing type tar-like material, likely so that Noah didn't have to hear the cries of the people who didn't get into the ark when the flood began. Because pitch soundproofed it. And it says in Hebrews, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things, everybody say with me, not yet seen. So can you note with me, God told him that something was coming and there was no outside evidence of it at all yet. None. No outside evidence. You couldn't look out there and say, well, judgment is coming. No, because it didn't look like judgment was coming at all. Everybody was doing their own thing as we're about to read about. But even though he couldn't see it, folks, he believed God. He believed God. And what can we apply in our own lives where God has uh, said something in his word that that, that certain events are going to happen, certain things are coming and, and we don't have any evidence for it out here. We don't see it, but we still believe God. Christ is going to return. I don't see that right now, but I do see the signs out there. But you know what? Having not yet seen, yet I believe. Amen? And another verse, uh, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And so Noah was walked with God. He was a just man. God gave him precise instructions on how to build the ark. And by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved, he acted with godly fear. He said, I better obey God. Something heavy duty is coming down the pike. I better obey God. And he was moved with godly fear. And he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Because if he hadn't prepared it, Everybody would have perished, but he prepared it and it saved his household. I wonder what kind of, uh, uh, you know, what happens to others when we obey God? What are the, the results and the blessings that come upon others when we obey God? He obeyed God and it saved his whole household. Now, running the numbers in scripture, 
We know that Noah started building the ark when he was 480 years old. Just a young man. And he finished when he was 600. Jeff, you really believe that? Yes, I believe that. Yeah. 480. So all of you who are having middle age crises, midlife crises, take a little lesson from Noah in in midlife, (laughs) right? Because he lived to 950. In midlife, he began the project of his life. Everybody say amen. You're not getting old, you're just older, right? Now, I want to focus for a moment on this time period between God's first appearance to Noah and the completion of the ark, because this is very intriguing to me, and there's a lesson for us here. First, we call the human race before the flood antediluvians. I want you to say that with me, antediluvians. Let's try it again, antediluvians. Big word, but it's simple. It's a compound word. Anti is from a Latin word <coughs> that means um, in front of or before. So anti, before or in front of. Diluvian is simply the Latin word for flood. So antediluvian means in front of or before the flood. So when you talk about the civilization that was before the flood, you say they were, they were antediluvians. All right? It sounds complicated, but it's easier to do. All right. Now, the Bible suggests that God gave the antediluvian world, those before the flood, 120 years to repent. Now, I want us to note this because this shows the mercy of God. When God told Noah, start building this boat, because the whole world... All land creatures are going to be destroyed. I am going to redo the whole thing. That was 120 years before the event. Genesis 6.3 says, Then Jehovah said, when he looked at mankind and their condition before the flood, My spirit must not forever be disgraced in man, wholly evil as he is. I will give him 120 years to mend his ways, to repent. I'll give him 120 years. Look at the long-suffering of God. Look at the mercy of God. God was already done with them. He said, my spirit's not always going to strive with these men. Uh, They've gone from bad to worse. But he said, I'm going to give them 120. While you're building the ark, Noah, I'm going to give them 120 years to repent. He gave them ample time and mercifully uh, provided clear warnings. He didn't just say, well, let's just see what they do while you're building the ark. God gave clear warnings, warnings. And God always warns before judgment comes, always. The first warning sign was Methuselah. Now, you remember Methuselah. If you don't, let me remind you, the oldest man in the Bible. He lived older than anybody else in the history of the world after the fall of man. He lived to be 969. He almost made it to a millennium. Can you imagine living that long? I mean, if we lived that long, all of us in here would just barely be getting started. You started having kids at 200. You graduated high school at, you know, 150. So here's the deal. He lived to be 969 years old. But why does Methuselah matter? Because his name means something very important. His name means 
When he is dead, it shall be sent. Another interpretation of the name. When he dies, it shall come. When Methuselah dies, it shall come. Well, what's the preposition, it? What's the it? When he dies, it'll come. When Methuselah passes away, it will arrive. What's the it? Well, we know that Methuselah lived before the flood. The Bible says that he was the son of Enoch, who was just seven generations from Adam. So we're going way back to the ancient beginnings of time almost. So he was only seven generations removed from Adam, Methuselah's daddy, Enoch. And the Bible says he was a prophet according to Jude. Now let me read Jude. Now Enoch, this is Jude 14 and 15 because Jude's only one chapter. Verse 14 of Jude. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, foretold the future, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. A lot of ungodlies in there. But do you notice what he's prophesying? The Lord is coming with ten thousands of his saints. He's going to return to the earth. So he's reaching way, way, way past our time. And Enoch is prophesying that when Christ returns, Christ himself is going to deal with people who have harshly spoken against him, who have harshly spoken against his people, who have abused his people and blasphemed his name. They're going to answer to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they did in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners spoke against, capital H, him. So there's a day of reckoning coming, heavy day of reckoning coming. You know, it, it's popular these days um, for comedians and comedians. I've seen a few YouTubes, little clips of what they're doing these days. And it, it's become popular to rail against Christ, to mock Christ, to, to blaspheme Christ. In their sketches, in their comedy skits. To, to laugh at the church and laugh at the name of Jesus and, 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 and put Jesus in compromising, sinful, wicked contexts and to diminish him and laugh at him. And every time I see that, I think of this verse right here, this verse. Because the day's going to come when Christ returns. And who's, who's he going to go? Who's he going to be dealing with? People that said ungodly things against him, spoke harshly against him and against his people, and that came against the work of God. There's going to be a day of reckoning, everybody. But now, back to Methuselah. We're told that Methuselah's father was Enoch. By the way, Jude did not quote here from the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch is not Scripture. He quoted Enoch himself, the man, way back in the beginning of time. Not any book of Enoch. That is not biblical. It's never been accepted as true biblical canon. Never. So Methuselah's father, Enoch, was a prophet 
who was literally caught up to heaven without dying. You remember, it says Enoch walked with God and he was not. All right? So he's one of the two men in the Old Testament that were raptured, taken up without seeing death. To give us an example of what the rapture of the church, the catching up of the church will look like. Because it says Enoch was sitting there one day walking with God and suddenly he wasn't there. Enoch walked with God and he was not. He was taken. He was taken. That's Methuselah's daddy. Now, Enoch, being a prophet, very likely gave to his son the name Methuselah under a spirit of prophecy, foretelling when the flood would come. When he dies, it shall come. Methuselah was a sign to the antediluvian citizens of the world in that day. Methuselah was a sign. Now we know from the Bible that Methuselah was not on the ark because only eight people made it, and that was only Noah, Mrs. Noah, and his three sons and their wives, and that's it, eight people. So did Methuselah die in the flood because he lived pre-flood? Did he die in the flood? No, because his name puts him dying just before the flood. So it was a sign. Methuselah was a sign. And and believe me, um, when he died, anybody that was in the know, anybody that had any sense at all, maybe only Noah, he knew, uh uh-oh, it's about to come because he died. And we know that it came right after that, right after Methuselah's death. So the antediluvian population of the world had a warning sign given to them, Methuselah. And isn't it interesting, he lived the longest of anybody in history, showing again the mercy of God, because this guy lived the longest of any. God was waiting, 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 waiting to see if anybody, anybody repented and got into that ark. He gave him, he gave, this guy lived 969 years, but God also gave another warning sign, the preaching of Noah. Peter writes these words, and God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Now get this, everybody. For 120 years, Noah warned and preached of God's coming judgment. With one hand, he was building that ark, and with another, he's preaching, he's warning He's declaring. He's crying out. Turn, turn. For 120 years, he preached and warned and and encouraged them to turn and repent without one convert. 120 years, not one convert. Not one. Now, Peter writes that during the time that Noah was preaching and warning, Peter writes, God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. Another version, a little stronger, the divine long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. On my radio show that I'm on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights, where we take calls from around the nation, Bible questions, um, we get this question a lot. Um, Why has it taken the Lord so long to come back? Why doesn't he come back and wrap everything up? Why does he let all this suffering go on? Well, Peter said, God is long-suffering, 
not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. Now note again, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was, so shall it be. So what do we see? God was sitting there waiting, 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 waiting. The long suffering. He, God waited long in Noah's day. What's he doing now? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. God is waiting. He's waiting for that one to repent. He's waiting for another one to repent. He's waiting for somebody you know to repent. God is waiting. He's patient. He's merciful. He's kind. He's long-suffering. Uh, he, 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 mercy rejoices over judgment, James wrote. So God waited then and God is waiting now. This is, the, this is a template for now. It, it, it's very similar to now. Now Jesus gives us an idea of how the people of his day responded to Noah's preaching. Jesus said, Matthew 24, verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days before the flood, notice Jesus fully affirmed the flood. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know, did not know, did not get it until the flood came and took them away. So also, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now we read this. I used to read this and go, what's the big deal? They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Big deal. What's wrong with that? Sounds pretty good to me. But see, that's exactly the point. In spite of all the warnings of Noah and the daily awareness on the part of some of Methuselah, and in spite of watching the ark's progress as it was built, they were unmoved, totally unmoved. They weren't moved. Ah, yeah, the crazy man down the street, you know, building that stupid boat where there's no water, and he's got a few people helping him. His sons, they're all wacko. Noah was the crazy, da- crazy guy down the lane. What are you building this for, Noah? Because a flood's coming. <laughs> yeah, he thinks the flood's coming. And they didn't believe him. They didn't believe the warning of God. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Because Noah's message was the flood's coming. Our message is Christ is coming. All right? So, it shows their total focus on the business and pleasures of the world without a solitary thought of their worldly lifestyles or of the violence that was covering the earth or of their exceedingly wicked imaginations. Not one thought or concern. They just kept on marrying and giving in marriage, buying and selling, trading, doing life, business and pleasure. So they were totally caught by surprise when it began to rain and the waters began to rise. They were totally taken by surprise. I can't step into their minds, but I, but I can imagine being a human being, what some of them were thinking. The old man was right. The crazy guy down the street, oh no, he was right. He wasn't crazy after all. What he said is happening. 
I got to get into that boat. But the Bible says God shut the door. So there was a time where it was eternally too late to get into that ark. You couldn't get in because God himself shut the door. God shut it. The world at large, our world, our generation will not take the warnings of the gospel preacher seriously as the coming of Christ draws closer. They're going to scoff, they're going to mock, they're going to ridicule, they're going to persecute, and they're going to ignore God's merciful warnings. Jesus said, they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So shall it be for our generation when Christ returns. That's why we take the gospel everywhere we can, to as many as we can, in as many ways as we can, as fast as we can. Because Jesus is the ark of the new covenant. And he's the only way out. Amen? And think about it. Finally, the last day came. The final 24 hours to repent and get into the ark finally arrived. Then the Lord, chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. You and all your household, because I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. I have seen. Now the Bible goes on to say that when he told him and his family to go on and get into the ark finally, that this is when God began to bring two of every kind of the creatures of the earth unto Noah in the ark. Listen to the testimony of verse 8 of chapter 7 of clean animals of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, listen to these powerful words. They went in to the ark to Noah. Male and female, as God had commanded Noah. Now you talk about one more great, undeniable sign. Because if you've watched 120 years, yeah, he's been preaching 120 years, but now you're looking out there at the ark and it's finished. And on the first day of the seven remaining days of earth as they'd known it, animals began lining up on the entry ramp into the ark on their own without being coaxed, without being led, without being forced, without being roped, without being lassoed, without being leashed. They began going up the ramp two by two, obediently, as if they were obeying something you couldn't see. And they were. God brought them in himself. And if you didn't look at that and go, wow, something supernatural, this was supernatural. I mean, we're talking about lions and tigers and bears, uh uh-huh. Right? We're talking about ferocious animals. But they're just, they're, they're, they're just going in nicely, passively, stepping on to this ramp and getting into this massive boat. That's a sign. And God gave seven days, seven days to repent, seven remaining days. Because at the end of the seventh day, when they were all in there, God shut the door. God shut the door. God had already told Noah he was going to do that for seven more days. Noah, once you go in, I'm going to cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. So after this seven days of supernatural gathering, the great flood commenced. I mean, it's, it's, it's a stretch, but we see here a, a final last-minute harvest. 
okay, that God brought supernaturally all these creatures into the ark. And if God can bring lions and tigers and bears passively walking up a ramp into the ark, can't God give the church a great last day's harvest and bring them into the ark? Yeah. First it says, and let me read it, verse 10. Here comes the flood, and it came to pass after seven days the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, so he's 600 years old now, in the second month, 17th day of the month, on that day, two things. All the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So let's look at this. First, the fountains of the great deep were broken up. So we're not talking about something coming from above. We're talking about a cataclysmic upheaval in the waters of the oceans. The fountains of the great deep, the oceans, were broken up. That sounds like an earthquake to me. Underneath the water, in the ocean bed, way down, there was an earthquake. And that caused huge tsunamis. We've seen this happen in our day. We've seen a tsunami wipe out a whole population in our day. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people gone in a flash because there was an earthquake in only one spot of the ocean. But this was worldwide. The fountains of the great deep were broken up. It wasn't just rain for 40 days. It was a violent upheaval of oceanic waters. And so floods began to come. And then the windows of heaven were opened. The Hebrew here literally reads, there came violent rain. Think of the worst rainstorm, you, rainstorm you've ever been in. Think of it. We've all experienced driving down a highway and it's raining so bad. We say raining cats and dogs. Raining so bad, your windshield wipers weren't doing any good. So you had to pull to the side of the road until it subsided. It was a violent rain. All right, imagine a violent rain like that. Usually around here lasts an hour or two and it's over and there's flooding anyway. But imagine 40 days and 40 nights nonstop, 960 hours of nonstop torrential violent rain. That's a storm. It rained nonstop while the oceans were having earthquakes underneath, tsunami waves rolling across the earth, 960 hours of nonstop torrential rain from the skies. It says next, the waters increased and they lifted up the ark. That boat began to float. And it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. And all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters standing, the Bible says, 22 feet and higher above the highest peaks. 22 feet above the highest mountains. And all flesh died, verse 21, chapter 7. All flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man 
all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he, capital H, God, destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remain alive. Can you imagine the solitude of that? I remember when COVID first hit and everybody was freaking out and hunkered in their bunker and staying home and nobody was coming out. Me and Cindy took my motorcycle downtown Fort Worth. I got police here. I got to be careful. <laughs> and and um, but, but we went downtown. We went downtown. It was dusk. And we were going to try to find something to eat. There's nobody Nobody, nobody. I saw one or two maybe homeless people off yonder, but no cars, no humans walking around, red lights turning green and red for no reason, no cars there to stop or let go. So we just took off. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, But it was the strangest feeling. It was so strange. Nobody around. Listen, when Noah and his family finally landed again five months later, there's nobody. There's nobody. There's no mammals except what came in the ark. And you turn two of every kind loose and they're gone in no time and you're not going to see them again. Five months The waters prevailed on the earth. This was totally cataclysmic. I'm coming to a close. Listen carefully. The earth was never going to be the same again after this. Uh, All of mankind perished except eight people. See, we say we came from Adam and Eve, and we did. All right, distant, most ancient ancestors are Adam and Eve. But the whole earth was repopulated from Noah, Mrs. Noah. I don't know if they had any more kids, but their three sons. Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their wives. Ham, Shem, and Japheth repopulated the entire earth. So we all go back to Ham, Shem, or Japheth, and then beyond them, Adam and Eve. But the whole earth was repopulated from Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Every oxygen-breathing creature died, from butterflies to moths, caterpillars, ants. I wish the mosquitoes would have stayed dead. I don't know why God allowed them to remain. And a few other things, cockroaches, yeah, how come they can't? God, why didn't you just keep them out? But um, only marine life survived. The atmosphere changed. The earth's ecosystem changed. The case can be made that it may not have rained ever before the flood. The rain falling on the roof of the ark may have been the first time rain ever came down like this. And I can give you some biblical evidences quickly Number one, no mention is made of rain on the earth until the flood in the Bible. Two, the original earth and the Garden of Eden, we're told in Genesis 2, 5, 6, and 10, were watered by streams, rivers, and mist coming up from the ground, not rain. Third, the appearance of the good old rainbow. When they saw it, when God put that rainbow in the sky, it was a first Well, if if water had been up there in the form of rain, 
rain clouds, then there was light to bend through the water droplets and give us a prism. But, but there was no rainbow until Noah. So what does that tell us about what was up there and whether or not it rained? I'm just saying it's a thought, but it's an interesting one. We also note one thing that, that is really, really clear, that after the flood, man's life expectancy drastically dropped. And that's why I think the ecosystem really changed. Uh, the rays of the sun broke through. Uh, I, I believe so many things about the atmosphere changed. Had to have. Uh, the antediluvian world lived for centuries. They lived for centuries. But after the flood, it starts reducing. Noah lived 950 years. So he had 350 more years after the flood. He has some stories to tell his great, 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 great grandchildren, right? 350 years he lived after the flood. But by the time we come to Abraham, he made it to 175. A few centuries later, Moses made it to 120. And then the Psalms, David tells us, 70 years are given us, and some may even live to 80. It went down. Life expectancy. So we do witness this precipitous decline in man's life expectancy after the flood. Everything changed. All that is left now, and I'm closing, by the time Noah and his three sons and their wives walked out on dry land again, after five months, that was one long cruise. All right? When they, their feet touched land, no human beings, no air-breathing creatures, an empty world, and the entire world is going to be repopulated by them, and they're going to go bad again, and that's where the tower comes in, and that's what we're going to look at next time. Can we stand together? Amen. How many of you are liking this series? Isn't it powerful stuff? How many of you know the flood happened? See, the only evidence I need is Jesus affirmed it. That's it for me. Jesus, as it was in the days of Noah, he affirmed it. And uh, the great flood. So, God is good. We're going to get into more scientific stuff next week that will really open your eyes. It's good stuff. But I want us to thank God that he sent us the Ark of the New Covenant. That Noah and the Ark were types and shadows of God's great salvation plan unfolding in the world in time to come. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, a virgin. And God says to the entire world, whosoever will, let him come. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do, you step into the ark and you're saved from the coming judgment. Because it's coming. It's coming.